Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is drive time. Elliot Anka, Timothy Go, and Willie King with you. It is time now to take a look at some headlines out of the European region, starting off with uh, Russia's ruble. Uh, Followed a long way in recent mm. months, uh, Country Central Bank has uh, stepped in to try and halt the slide. Well, of course, until now, the government uh, stood aside as the ruble declined. A weaker currency also poses a threat to higher prices of ev- for everyday people in Russia. And the government has finally moved in to slow the drop down. We'll find out more about that. Plus, uh, further away in uh, Johannesburg, the BRICS block of emerging economies, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, set to hold its 15th summit. And on the line with us to discuss these issues is Dr. Samir Puri, visiting lecturer in war studies at King's College London and author of the book, Russia's Road to War with Ukraine. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thanks. All right, so let's uh, start off with the uh, BRICS summit in South Africa. We know the Russian President Vladimir Putin will not be in attendance. Russia will be represented by the Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. What can we expect as far as Russia's agenda is concerned? Well, I think the very fact that this summit is happening in South Africa means that maybe the Ukraine conflict won't be the central focus. So I think from Russia's perspective, any club, any gathering that it's invited to, that the West is not invited to, is a good thing. Because there's not many of them, and they're clearly not particularly welcome in all the usual sorts of places. Uh, but what we expect, there's probably going to be a debate amongst some of the BRICS members about whether to expand the BRICS group. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that means expanding the acronym, because I don't think, I mean, obviously, you know, that the, each letter stands for one of the, the major original members. Mm. Uh, but I think uh, whether the BRICS group moves from this kind of informal Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, representing the name to something a bit more formal with actual sort of expanding membership. There's about, you know, 40 countries want to join. That's going to be the interesting thing, I think, to observe in this discussion. Okay, let's talk about the currency then. There was talk about a new currency to challenge the U.S. dollar. Will this ever happen, a BRICS common currency? Well, well, interestingly, the man who came up with the BRICS acronym, who's a British economist, Jim O'Neill, thought this is the silliest idea he'd ever heard he, uh, about the BRICS common currency. And I, I sort of see where he's coming from. I mean, just consider how different the economies of, of the original BRICS members are. You know, Russia that's totally sanctioned, India rising power, Brazil and South America. And how would that work? I actually think what the more interesting situation is, it's what's called de-dollarization, which is rather than a new currency, because the US dollar is obviously so well established as the world's global reserve currency, is it's these BRICS countries and others finding workarounds where they're just not spending and trading in US dollars. Mm-hmm. So de-dollarization, I think, is a much more proximate phenomenon than any notion of this fantastical idea of a BRICS currency. That I, I would see it when I uh, see it to believe it. I don't think I'll be seeing it anytime soon. Just to follow up on the two points we've discussed so far, Doctor, with more countries interested to join the BRICS, with more you know, sort of traction that it's getting. What are the odds that we get to a place where there's no one... Is it correct to say that there's no one leader? Uh, everyone's got their own agenda after all. Where yeah. or how far do you see this expanding? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? You know, uh, most of us have just grown up in a world where the US is, for better or for worse, the leader of the pack. Yes. And uh, we're in this world, I mean, you know, the international relations academics, they call it fragmented multipolarity. But, you know, in, in plain English, that just means there's no one country or group of countries in charge, several. That's what we're living through right now. And it makes life quite difficult to predict. 
because different regions will have different leaders and you'll have lots of conflicts, lots of discussions, lots of debates, lots of disagreements over whose yeah. way is the right way. So that is the world that we're, we're seeing develop in front of our eyes. Yeah. I grew up in a world where Briggs was the name of a cafe. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> well, you know, we grew up in a world where the West Europe and the yeah, U.S. were yeah, dominant. But yeah. I think the world order is changing. Could this be a positive way of moving forward, do you think, Doctor? Oh, well, that's the, the million, well, I wouldn't say million ruble question. It's the million dollar question to pick a slightly higher value currency. Uh, I think the U.S. and the West are still very, very dominant. So we have to, we can't rule anything out in terms of how the West will still play a very big shaping role in the world. But, but if you look at the population shift, Doctor, it's shifting towards all these other countries, India, China, Southeast Asia. Yeah, even if there's population growth stagnation in China and Japan, the population growth stagnation in, in the USA and Europe is, is immense. East European countries have got declining populations. Mm-hmm. The U.S. population is only really sustaining growth with immigration, which, as we know, is a politically toxic issue for Trump and for everybody else who, you know, who debates these things in America. Mm-hmm. But is it a good thing? Your original question depends where you stand. Some mm-hmm. people want a bit more diversity of voices mm-hmm. in the world when we hear debates. Other people would prefer that there is a good, secure policeman like America. <laughs> and America, you know, it, it does invade countries like Iraq or Vietnam in the 60s and 70s. But it's not very often, and it, it generally uses its power fairly responsibly. Some might disagree with me, but I think you see Russia today, and, and yeah. that's, that's clear. So I think it's really a matter of perspective, isn't it, over whether we think this is a good thing or we prefer the security of a US-led world order. Mm. Dr. Samia, since you mentioned ruble, it's not doing too well. Uh, of course, uh, it slipped past the value of 100 to the American dollar on August 14th, just a couple of days ago. When we talk about the Ukraine war's impact on the world's economy, that's one thing, but it seems to be hurting Russia even more. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an economist or specialist in Russia's economy, but I can certainly tell you a lot about the sanctions Ah, that have been used to constrain Russia's economy and to cut it off from Western markets, Japan, South Korea, Australia, all the others that have sanctioned it. But I sort of feel that the impact on Russia's economy is happening in slow motion. So some of the biggest advocates for the power of sanctions after the invasion said Russia's economy would be wrecked you know, immediately. But here we are 18, 19 months later, and we're only now just seeing as we're discussing you know, this sort of huge issue with the ruble. Yeah. And you know, Putin still has the ability to impose currency controls. I believe uh, where, where it's sitting now is he's hearing the proposals and they're discussing which kind of currency controls to impose. I don't know what, whether that will be on Russian companies and, and you know, forcing them to have to you know, convert some of their holdings to ruble. Who knows what they will do? But nonetheless, the Russian economy is far from collapsing totally, which is astonishing given how many sanctions have been placed on it, led by the West in punishment of its war of aggression. So what's causing this resilience of the, the Russian economy? There are a few things. Obviously, Russia is a huge market in and of itself. It is also, clearly, as we know, one of the world's biggest natural energy you know, producers, exporters. So it can you know, fuel itself, clearly. That, that's one obvious point. And the other obvious point is that the world, this goes back to our point about a new world, a different world. There are so many countries like India, yeah. China, yeah. and some of the BRICS countries, they will carry on trading with Russia. Mm. And they don't sanction Russia, and they don't see this war in Eastern Europe as being actually a, a central control of concern to themselves. And that's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Uh, if you're sitting in Indonesia or India, why would you have the same view of the Ukraine war as if you're sitting in Poland when it's happening next door to you? So that's just, you know, the world is a, is a more complex place 
And Russia and Russia's economy have been able to navigate that complexity to their benefit, I think, in the last year and a half. Interestingly, you mentioned that, like, why should we allow that to, for lack of a better choice of words, if you're in another part of the world, why should you allow that conflict to bother you? It feels like, and, and you know, in Russia's point of view of going through this with all the sanctions that are happening, how long more is President Vladimir Putin going to continue to have his grip on, you know, the people and the agenda moving forward? Who knows? I mean, so much of the world is sitting on this question, isn't it? I mean, Putin's yeah. clearly such a reckless uh, man. He's obviously a warmonger and he's, you know, 70 plus years old. I just think he's, he's going to keep going for as long as he can go. Mm. He's got no way out. No one's going to ever rehabilitate him internationally, you know, in the West or, you know, in, in all the parts of the world that have, you know, criticized Russia for this war of aggression. Right. So he's got nowhere out. He's just going to go down with his ship, so to speak, with this war. We just have to wait and see how many more months and years that actually takes before some kind of situation uh, uh, emerges in which the global economy is no longer affected by the impact of energy and food export disruption and all the other things we know. I mean, it is very possible, Doctor, that the Russian president will outlive or outrule all his other Western counterparts in democratic countries. Well, that, of course, is always the great, the great fear of confronting a, a sort of a dictator of this nature mm. is he doesn't, he, you know, my, he could live till 80. Uh, <laughs> by this point, you've got another couple of U.S. presidents and, and British prime ministers mm. and others who, who have to then deal with the issue. And I don't think Putin is going to get any, any more sane uh, the older he gets in terms of his risk appetite and his, yep. his desire to wage war. So that really is, you know, the, the whole world has been affected by this. Just one last point quickly. You said, why should the world care? There are principles at stake in terms of allowing this kind of war of and disruption to, to unfold. But I guess it always feels different. You, know, you ask someone in America, how do they feel about the, the war in, in Congo, for example? They'll have a different answer to someone in Tanzania. That's just, I think, the nature of the world as it is. It's a large place. Every week we speak, I kind of try to figure out, Doctor, you know, with your book, Russia's Road to War with Ukraine, how are you going to follow up on this book and the material? (laughs) (laughs) It's just so many directions it can take. Well, I hope I never have to write a sequel. And I think, uh, you know, I'm like anyone would hope this war, you know, comes to some kind of end in some way, shape or form. But I think, you know, the actual interesting topic is the one you you asked about is the changing nature of the world and the the different roles of the West in the world. That's a question I think that we should all be asking ourselves. How is this going to affect us, Mm. our businesses, our lives? even our sense of identity. Oh, I think wow. these are very interesting questions as well. That for is. another day, I'm sure. Uh, we'll need an hour for that, Doctor, but definitely <laughs> would like to get you on board that one. Dr. Samia Puri, who is visiting lecturer in war studies at King's College London and author of the book Russia's War, Road to War with Ukraine. Uh, Dr. Samia, I appreciate your time. Uh, take care and have a great Thursday evening. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.